yeah, so what if, right? We're going to take a look at that uh, some more. Uh, first, I just noticed I got flowers up here. That's cool. Hopefully, I don't knock them over as I start flailing my arms around. But um, if you're wondering, are these people that involved, like, stuck on yellow? Um, we just want to let you know why we're wearing yellow if you're uh, new here this morning uh, or you didn't get the memo or something that um, this week uh, is, is a time for, for remembering Mason Cunningham. Uh, a year ago, uh, he passed away. We believe he is with the father today. Uh, he was 17 months old. And so just in a way to show uh, support and encouragement to both the Cunninghams, the Warrens, the family, friends. Uh, we, we also mourn and grieve with them, and so this is our, our way of at least identifying that with them. And then at the end of the service, we're also going to go out in the front over here, and uh, we're going to do a little experiment and try to release butterflies uh, into the air together, so just in memory. But we'll give more details on that as we go through the service. So we are continuing our, our study in Philippians. So if you have your Bibles uh, you want to turn there, Feel free to, and we will continue our, our study here. A uh, couple, couple thoughts, and I've got, some, uh, got an object lesson for you, so I'll go ahead and pull that out now. And uh, some of you love these. Some of you, I'm sure, roll your eyes at the things I come up with at times. But, um, but here's, here's what I want to do. Uh, think about this question. What do people do? to try and improve their standing with God. Now, uh, you could be a, an unbeliever, someone who doesn't believe in God or believe in Jesus Christ. Let's, let's define a little bit more. Doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. So you therefore try to do some kind of good work or a list of good works in order to please God. Okay, so that could be part of your list. Or people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet still feel the need to better themselves with God. Like, oh, I've, I've, I've gotten a little, you know, little ways. I've gotten in the door a little bit, but I still feel like there's this nagging voice inside my head that's, that says I need to do more. So think about those. I'm going to blow up a balloon if I can, and, uh, and then I'm going to have you guys answer. So go ahead and think about it. Don't watch me do this because this is embarrassing, but... <laughs> It probably sounds really funny, too, through a microphone. Does it sound cool? Even better. All right. Okay, so we're going to tie that off. And I need your help for this. I want you to start naming off some things, and I will try to write them on our balloon here. So give me some some one words. Don't give me like a whole sentence. All right, I'm not going to write all that out, but give me give me a word. Give more. All right. All right. Give more. I'll put the money sign on there. All right. Give more money. What else? Okay, serve. Fasting. All right. Squeaks like that. All right. Micah, you got one? Being helpful. Okay, serve, help. Okay. Work harder. Okay, just try to achieve more. Work harder. All right. Can't read these at all. I'm not good at writing, especially on a balloon. So, all right, some more. Prayer. Prayer. All right. 
Anything else? Okay, Bible study. Bible study or reading. All right, starting to fill up. Anything else? Church. Yeah. All right. Lent, observe Lent, okay. Lent, yeah. Not the kind you get out of your uh, washing machine or dish or dryer, sorry. But uh, the other kind, Lent. Yes, okay. <clears throat> what? Okay, love. Love others, love God, okay. Well. What? Forgive, okay. All right, well, we got, we got several on here, and I think it'll still make a point. There's some that you could, uh, well, it'll create a tension, and that's okay, because I actually want you to have some tension throughout this whole message, and then hopefully at the end I'll be able to resolve it for you, maybe. So, yeah, we're going to blow it up. Don't worry. It's, all right. it's not, it's not going to go boom. It's just going to probably ooze out here and blow out the match, so it's no big deal. But I want to show you what happens to our credentials, the things we work for, the things that we try to do for God. If, it's, if we're faced with, with judgment, what are those things if they're done with the wrong motives? Well, what happens when you hold them up to a match? If I can get a match going. What do you think is going to happen? Oh, match. Woo! Always works. The front row. Always. That's why people don't sit in the front row. I tell you. Unless we're at a sporting event, then it's packed. All right. So, so but the point is, on the outside, you could do a lot of things. Right? Try to uh, clean yourself up, make yourself better, do a lot of works, that sort of thing. But that's not what saves us. So I have another balloon here. Yeah, you thought the air puts out the match, right? Yeah, see what this thing does. So, the filled with gasoline, that would, that would get us kicked out of the school, I think. I think at the end, yeah, yeah. So, so with this, ha. Huh. I'm going to come hold this over Jane. No, I'm just kidding. Come on, let's go. Burn, baby, burn, right? Do you think it's going to blow up? No. It'll even turn black. Look at that. Woohoo! Why? Well, because what's inside saves it. Uh, it's water in the inside. It keeps it cool, so the plastic, the melt, rubber won't actually melt, so... But these are fun to do this. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. The point and the object is we could try to do a lot of stuff on the outside to fix us, clean us, whatever we want, make us look better before God. But really what saves us is what happens on the inside. And that's when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And he cleanses us from the inside out. He gives us a new life. He gives us the resurrection, which we're going to talk about, and this passage talks about. And it's clear that our works simply do not save us. So think about that as we move forward. Here's a, a sentence for you today. You can chew on this. You may disagree with it a bit, but hopefully by the end you won't. So here's what, how it goes. Oops, that did not work. Back to there. Our greatest achievement is surrendering to Christ. Anything else can be flushed down the toilet. Okay, yeah, I got a few couple chuckles out there. Some of you may be saying, that is not from the Bible, right? Like, how would you ever get the Bible to say something like that? Well, here's, here's where it is. Philippians 3, 8. 
Moreover, or more than that, I also consider everything, okay, Paul says, everything to be a loss in view of surpassing value of knowing uh, Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I might gain Christ or may gain Christ. Now, the word dung we don't use an awful lot today, so I have the modern translation for you. Um, this is what you can think of today. All right. So one day there's going to be a whole, a whole Bible translated by emojis right out there, right? So this is the emoji, if you're not familiar with, this is the emoji for poop, okay? It's not ice cream. It's not soft serve ice cream as much as it may look like it is. That is the emoji you'd use for that. And if you're curious, what is dung? That's really what Paul is saying. This is, it's not just rubbish. It's not just something that's dirty. This is what you would find. This is what would be in your toilet, okay? He's saying everything. I consider everything a loss. I consider them all to be dung in view of Christ, okay? So think about that. Think about the say, that saying, and this is the title for this morning, Flush It. And we're going to talk about what to flush and what not to flush. All right. So with that in mind, here's some thoughts for you. I think there might be some tension. You're probably not going to be able to read this. I just have this up here as an example. In our day in our society, we are told from very early on we need to keep our credentials. We need to keep a record of all the things we've accomplished. Keep them on a piece of paper. Because you may go out and need a job, and you'll need to draw those up. you need to pull them up, and you'll need to be able to share with the people who are hiring what you have accomplished in life. And so as part of our culture, we have, we have really embraced this idea, and we have a, a resume, right? And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have a resume. Please understand that. But, but understand this, that's not what saves you. That's not what puts you in good standing with God. It's not what you can do on a sheet of paper. Now, you may begin to argue something like this, or at least be thinking about this. Ryan, if everything apart from Christ is dung, or should be flushed down the toilet. What happens when you have, let's say, an atheist who is a doctor, and an atheist who is a scientist, and they come together, and together they create a cure for cancer? Is that dung? What about the teacher who may be an atheist, doesn't have a relationship with God, but she spends hours and hours working with a child who struggles to read? And by the end of that year, she has helped that child read. Is that dung? What about the person who is working hard at his computer to make the the company do better so the company can hire more people and in turn pay more people and they can raise families in our world today? What about that? There's tension, isn't there? Well, if we come to the Bible and it says, all things, all things I consider a loss, all things I consider as dung, apart from Christ, you can say, well, there's a lot of good things that happen in the world. There's a lot of things out there that, that seem like they have value and meaning. How can you say that they're worthless? How can you say that it's like the same thing that's in a toilet? And if there's tension right now in your life, if there's tension right now this morning in what you're thinking, good. I want you to keep that tension as we go through this passage. And hopefully by the end, we can resolve it. Okay, so that's where we're going this morning. Give you a little bit 
of a clue as to, to where we are, and just ask that you don't tune me out completely, go all the way through, and listen to how we resolve it at the end. Let's go ahead and look at the passage first. Let's pray. Father, we want to know you more. We want to know your son more. We want to know, we want to know the power of the resurrection. We want to know the sufferings that he has gone through. And we want to have the confidence and knowledge that one day we will be with you in heaven. And that we look forward to that. Teach us today as we go through this together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one could argue that Paul is off his rocker and he shouldn't be saying this. However, we're going to go to another passage that Jesus himself talked about. And take a look at what he had to say. Luke chapter 14, just as Jesus talking, a large crowd was following Jesus. So he turned around And said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. How many of you knew that was in the Bible? We're often told, right, that the Bible says we are to love everyone else. Jesus says we are to love everyone else. What in the world can he be talking about? This is Jesus himself saying, by comparison, and that is an important word there, by comparison, you must hate everyone else. He even goes on, he says, your father and your mother and your wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross, which in the Roman world people would understood what that meant, and that was basically die, that you would die to yourself, you would die a, a, a really a terrible death, a criminal's death. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. So Jesus says you have to, to give up things in order to follow me, but don't even start unless you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? So you get some practical analogies here. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple. Remember, this is Jesus talking again. You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Jesus challenges the people who are following him to say, hey, count the cost. It's going to be difficult. It's not an easy road. Sometimes, at least in American churches, American theology, radio stations, books, whatever you read, sometimes we paint a different picture about following Jesus. Come to Jesus and he'll wipe all your troubles away. Come to Jesus and you'll have wealth. But that's not what the Bible says. Follow Jesus Christ. It's totally worth it. The end, the finish line is far better than anything else in the world. But the pathway to get there, it might be a little rocky. could be rough. Our greatest achievement is surrendering, is following, is pursuing, is placing ourselves under Christ. Everything else can be flushed down the toilet. All right, that's where we're going. How do you know then what to flush and how do you know what to pursue? That's where I want to go with as we look into this passage that Paul brings up. How do we know what to flush? How do we know what really is apart from Christ and how do we know what is of Christ? And that's what Paul, I think, helps us with in this passage. So let's take a look at it. Everything that was gained to me, this starts with verse 7, everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. 
More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The stuff to flush. Okay, That's what we're going to start off with. Paul points out some things that we should be willing to flush and get out of our lives. And here's the first one, anything of personal gain. If our life's ambition, if our goal is to make a name for ourselves, he says, put it aside. It's not about you. It's not about your name. It's not about making your footprint on the earth. It's about making a footprint for Christ. It's about what's on your tombstone at the end. It's not about all the great things that you have written on your tombstone. It's about this person lived to glorify and honor Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And Paul reminds his readers in Philippians, because they're probably struggling right now, they're saying, how come Paul is in prison? How come this great guy that we thought was going to come and and continue to teach us and grow us, he went and he went to prison? Isn't that the opposite of what's supposed to happen? I'm sure they're probably struggling through some of that, and we struggle through some of that as well with our faith. Good things are supposed to happen, right, if we follow Christ. And Paul says, hey, that doesn't always happen. If we are submitting ourselves to him and if we are, are taking our lives and we're saying, here, God, do with us whatever you will, then it's likely we're going to have to step back our, ourselves. We're going to have to push ourselves aside and say, you know what? I'm here to follow and love Jesus Christ. Everything is about his gain and not my own. So whenever I'm trying to make a name for myself, I need to step back and say, wait a minute. Is this for me or is this for Christ? And certainly that was, you know, the case. I was a young, um, young man, but coming up through high school, believing God wanted to take me through ministry. I thought, man, if I'm going to go into ministry, isn't that about, like, getting more people saved and getting more people in a church and growing and have a larger church and all of that? And so in my thinking, in my head, I thought success was having larger amounts of people. Well, sometimes you get yourself mixed in with that. And you begin to think, success is getting more people to follow me. You've got to push that aside. It's not about my personal gain. It's about gaining people for Christ. It's about gaining Christ. And so anything of personal gain, we need to push aside. Anything that distracts from knowing Christ needs to be pushed aside. Paul talks about that. Not a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness of, of Christ. He speaks to that later, but up until that point, he says, listen, I need to see that anything in the future that I would want to pursue, it pales in comparison to pursuing Christ. But there are so many things in life that will try to distract me. There are so many things that will get me off track. My phone, I don't know if you guys are guilty of this, but if my phone doesn't uh, ding every once in a while, or vibrate, I might pull it out of my pocket and go, is it broken or something? I mean, aren't I important enough that people are sending me messages? Well, what's going on? It's a distraction, right? It can be a distraction. How come I'm not getting communication with people via this little portal into the world, you know? We have that, that distraction in our life. There are so many distractions in our world today. We've got to stay focused on what God wants us to stay focused on. And if we begin to be distracted and pulled away from it, and if there's something else we're pursuing in this life, we really need to cut it off. Because it will distract us from knowing Christ. 
And then he talks about one of the things. He talks about being found in Christ in verse 9. That's this, identity that, or this idea that we have identity in Christ, that we are found as his children, found as his disciples. So anything that gives us identity apart from Christ, we need to push that aside. Um, it's not uncommon you meet somebody for the first time and you begin talking about your life and what you do, and oftentimes the question comes up, well, what is your job? What do you do? And so people will say, well, I am a, or they'll say, this is what I do, and give a description of yourself, or maybe you have a title, and this is, you know, my title or something like that. And I, I do the same thing. You know, I visit people. If I knew people, I'm like, hey, so what do you do? What is your career? What is your life? And we define ourselves by what we do. Now, you read through Paul's letters, he's always defining himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. One who follows Jesus Christ. Over and over, the people who write, wrote in the New Testament, that's how they saw themselves. I, I am one who follows Christ. What if that's how we define ourselves? It's the way we should. I'm a child of Jesus Christ. I'm a child of the, the King. I'm a child of the Father. That's our identity. That's what we need to, to be showing the world. So Paul says that, I'm found in Christ. Everything is, is about him. So anything of personal gain, anything that would distract me, anything that would cause my identity to go somewhere else, he says, no, I'm going to push that aside. Instead, I'm going to pursue something else. So verse 9 and 11, or through 11, it says, And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of from God based on faith. My goal then is to know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. A few things I think we could see in here that, Christ, uh, that Paul pursues. He's already shown us the things that, that he would push to the side. Let's see what he would pursue. So the stuff to pursue, one is faith in Christ. Now, at some point, um, like me, you may have a, a memory where you made a profession of, of faith in Christ. And there, maybe there was a time when you decided to get baptized and make a public declaration of your faith in Christ. If you haven't, I will interject this right now. If you haven't, you said, yeah, I've made a, a decision to follow Christ, but I haven't been baptized. I would encourage you to be baptized. Um, we would love to, to do that. That's a celebration for us as a church to do baptisms. Uh, we haven't done one yet this summer. So if, if people are like, I want to do, I want to be baptized, please come and talk to me. Talk to Pastor Luke. We'd love to do that. But that's a way for us to, to publicly show that we have faith in Christ. Okay? But faith in Christ is something we continue to pursue. Like, don't just go back and say, okay, I made that decision one time, and you wrote in your Bible, and you have a date that you go back to and say, okay, this is when I did it. It's something that's ongoing. It's something that we've got to keep working on. In fact, Jesus warned us about it. He gave us a parable. He talked about the seed that would fall upon the ground, and there's, there's several different types of grounds, and some of them, he said, would fall among the thorns. And as they grow, they get choked out, and they would die. Sometimes people will start their faith, and they'll start to grow, and then get choked out and die. You come in on a Sunday morning, you have these chairs out in front of here, and, and maybe you sat in one you know, several weeks ago, and when you sat down in it, you're like, hey, this is a sturdy chair. So the next Sunday you come in, you sit in it again, not even thinking about whether it's sturdy. You just have faith it's going to hold you up. What would happen if you come in, you sit on the chair, and it breaks? You might think twice before sitting in the next chair, right? Now, if you sat in that chair and it broke, you'd really think 
twice before sitting in the next chair. In fact, you might even say, hey, um, Pastor Luke, come sit in this chair right here first. You know, test it out for me. No. Pastor Ryan, you probably want me because I'm a little heavier. That's a better test probably, right? So, but hey, you, you try it out, and you, you don't know if it's really going to work, and all of a sudden your faith starts to get a little more shaken. Sometimes that's the way our faith works with God, especially if, if we have the wrong idea who Jesus Christ is and who God is. It's like we go and we test it out a little bit, and, and God didn't perform the way we thought God should perform. And so we start to change our view of to whether or not we can really trust this God that we talk about. And then if he fails again to perform the way we think he should perform, our faith is shattered even more. And then it takes people to come alongside and try to talk us into trying the next chair out. Faith is something we have to continue to pursue. And the reason we have to continue to pursue it is we've got to understand that God is not a God that just waves his little magic wand every time we feel like we need to be bailed out of something. God is not a God who's a genie in a bottle. We rub the lamp, he pops out, and he goes, hey, I'll give you three wishes. That's not who God is. He gave us everything we ever needed, and that's his son, Jesus Christ. He gave us eternal life, which is far greater than anything we could ever ask for. Sometimes we have trials. Sometimes we have struggles. Sometimes it feels like the chair gets pulled out from underneath of us, but God is still there. God still loves us. God is with us all the way along. So faith is something we've got to continue to pursue and grow, to know more about who God is so we can understand how he helps us through this life. That's the stuff we've got to pursue. And that's what Paul talks about when he says, I'm leaning on the faith I have in Jesus Christ. Paul, at this point, had already been put in prison. He had all kinds of things he was going through in life. I mean, you think about the struggles and the trials and the suffering we go through compared to what Paul went through. He was stoned. He was left for dead. He was imprisoned several times. He was accused of things he never did. And still he pursued Christ because his faith was in Christ and not himself. Well, the other thing we pursue, Paul talks about the power of the resurrection. I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. What's that talking about? You've got certainly the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he died upon the cross and he rose from the dead. The power was demonstrated there. But you and I, if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we have been resurrected spiritually. There's a resurrection that took place because we're told, Ephesians 2, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And when we sin, we're separated from God. There is this, this great chasm between us that we cannot cross on our own. And because of that separation, something needs to happen in order for us to go from this state of being dead to a state of being alive. And that happens through Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection. That he was able to raise himself from the dead demonstrates that he's able to raise us from the dead spiritually. And then there's another uh, resurrection that takes place. And that's the resurrection of us physically. That one day we will be reunited with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, physically. And his power is able to do that. And it's able to do that for you, and it's able to do that for any person on this planet. And Paul says, I want to know that power that not only saved Jesus Christ, it saves me, and it saves anybody who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. So he pursues that power to understand it more, to follow it, and to and to uh, proclaim it. And then he also talks about suffering. So I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to know the suffering. Jesus Christ began that journey when he suffered. He bled on the cross. He poured out his life, and, and he was killed. But then he continues on, and, and the church is, is asked to suffer for Christ. We are the body of Christ. 
And if Christ suffers, then we suffer as the body of Christ. We are taking the gospel message. We are proclaiming it into the world, and there will be suffering that comes alongside that. Paul demonstrated that. The early uh, apostles demonstrated that. The early church demonstrated that. Throughout the last 2,000 years, the church has been demonstrating that. In America, we got the freedom, of course, to come, and we're worshiping in a public school setting. We have the freedom to do that. Now, there's some persecution. Maybe you'll be laughed at. Maybe you'll be mocked. Maybe you'll be told you're a fool or something like that. Yeah, I get that. There's emotional stress that comes with being a Christian today and all of that. I don't know that we've suffered like the people in the, the New Testament did. We certainly have not and will not suffer like Christ has. But we will pursue. We'd be willing. We'd say, yeah, I'm willing to suffer if it means the gospel will move forward. So Paul says, I want to share in the suffering of Jesus Christ, and then I want to pursue this confidence in being glorified. At the end of this, verse 11, he says an interesting comment here, and it's actually pretty difficult to uh, interpret, and and many writers have have different ideas. Uh, I think the, the conclusive argument is people really don't know what Paul was maybe saying here. But he says to somehow to somehow have the resurrection of Christ, to one day. Some of the the terminology is like he might attain the resurrection, something along those lines. In other words, he's looking forward into the future. And he's saying, I have confidence that one day there's going to be a resurrection that he hasn't happened yet. Now, he's already been united with Christ spiritually, but he's saying there's a resurrection that's going to take place, and that resurrection is that physical resurrection when he gets to be with God the Father, be with Jesus Christ the Son. He says it's going to happen someday, but it's, it's by faith that he believes that. And so he uses kind of a language here that says somehow or he might attain. It's like the chair analogy where you sit at the beginning and it's broken, and you have to keep going along, even though the chair might fall at some point, you know that the last chair, the last chair is perfect. The last chair will hold you up. The last chair is eternal life. The last chair is something glorious. But you've got to keep your faith. Because your faith is in Christ. That he'll get you there. And Paul has gone through so much in his life. He could have said, you know, it's not worth it. I'm walking away. He says, no, I've made this decision to follow Christ. I have count the cost, and I am following him to the end. And I believe one day I'll be glorified in a glorified state. And he pursues that wholeheartedly. He says, I'm not going to let anything distract me. I'm not going to let anything get me down. Anything that would try to pull me away, I'm going to flush it down the toilet. And I'm going to pursue Christ wholeheartedly. That's the stuff that Paul wants to pursue. So let's say you're standing at the door. And this is where I hope to resolve maybe some tension in your mind right now. Let's say you're standing at the door of heaven and you want to get into heaven. How does that happen? So uh, back when I lived in Seattle... I'll give you a story. Hopefully, it'll tie it all together for you. Back when I lived in in Seattle, uh, my my brother-in-law, Rebecca's brother, was working for Quality Food Centers. And and he got a call one day and said, hey, John, would you want to go to the Mariners game? And it was the Mariners playoff with the Yankees, so it was was back when the Mariners were uh, good. And so uh, we had the opportunity to go to this, this game. And he said, not only do I have tickets to go to the game, but I actually have box tickets. 
bad part is we got to be there like in a couple hours because it was like one of those last minute things. So I'm like, sure, why not? You know, I'll raise my schedule. Let's go. So, so we went. And as we went into Safeco Field, we're, you know, we're going up into the stadium and we have a couple checkpoints because to go into the box seats, you know, you got you to gotta have a ticket. You can't just walk in there. And so we go all the way through the checkpoints. We get into the, the box seat and it was, it was the way to watch the game. Okay, you got to notice, first of all, you're not just sitting in stadium seats. It's like office chairs, like the nice plush, you know, recliners. You can kind of rock back and forth. It's got TV all over the place with all the different angles from all the different cameras that are in the, the stadium. So you can watch, you know, close-ups, and they're zooming in and out and, and that sort of thing. And then you're behind home plate, so you can look out over the, the stadium and, and have a pretty good view of what's happening. And then to top it off, it has, like, unlimited snack food. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, awesome, right? And all you can drink, I mean, it was just all there for us to enjoy. It was like, this, this is close to heaven. It wasn't heaven, but, you know, pretty nice, right? If I were to go back today, and I were to start going through those checkpoints, and I were to go to the people who you know, are there, you know, examining tickets and so forth, and, and I were to say, hey, you know what, I was here, you know, several years ago, and you guys let me through, um, can I go in? They would say, no. If I were to, to say, you know, I, I've been a pastor for over 20 years, doesn't that count for something? Should, I should be allowed to go in there. They would say, No. If I gave a list of my credentials and all the great things I had done, as short of a list as that would be, they would still say, no. Here's the point. The only reason I was able to go into the box seat at the time I was able to is because I knew John. That was it. And I was able to get there based on his credentials because he worked at a, a store that gave him a ticket to go. That's the only reason I was able to go past all those checkpoints. Guys, the only reason we can ever go through the door and get into heaven is because of the credentials of Jesus Christ. Not yours. It's because we know Christ. Paul knew that. Paul preached it. Paul believed it with all his heart. As he went from church to church, he proclaimed it. As he wrote letters, he said the gospel. He talked about grace. He talked about mercy. He said, this is what we need. And he proclaimed it to everybody he came across. And at the end of his life, which I think Philippians was written more towards the end of his life, he came and he said something like this. He said to to Philippi or whoever he's writing to, I have understood what life is all about. It's about Christ, and what's most important is that people follow Jesus Christ. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and I want every single person on the earth to be a follower of Jesus Christ so that they can have eternal life in Him. So therefore, that is far more important than anything else I can ever do. That's why everything else is like dung. I understand Paul was a tent maker. Paul needed to make a living. Paul did the things. He lived in the world. He just was not of the world. You and I are in the same boat. We still have a job. We still have neighbors. We still have people that we will you know, hang out with that, that don't know Christ. But, but what we need to do in those relationships and what we need to do at work and what we need to do in our neighborhoods is help point people to Christ because that is the most important thing. Right? Do you agree with that? 
So Paul says everything else he considers as dung or, in my wording, worth flushing down the toilet. Is it possible that you're being robbed of joy because you're holding tight to the wrong things and forsaking the things you should be pursuing? Remember, Philippians is, is about joy. He talks a lot about joy and rejoicing and, and helping the church to have joy. And I think sometimes we can get distracted because we start to pursue what we want. And when we do that, we forsake what Christ wants. And when we forsake what Christ wants, we get robbed of the joy that God wants us to have. So is it possible you're being robbed of joy because you're holding tight to the wrong things and forsaking the things you should be pursuing? Here's today's challenge. Think through then what you're holding on to that may be keeping you from growing in your faith. Take this week, think through that, like what am I holding on to? What have I not let go of? What have I not given to Christ? What am I pursuing apart from Christ? Think through that. Maybe it's a short list, maybe it's a long list. And then here's the last action step. Come back next week. I've got to have something to bring you back, right? Come back next week because the passage goes on and helps us learn some practical steps on how to grow. It talks about maturity. It talks about growing. And the biggest thing it tells us, just to give you a, a trailer, I guess, into next week, is it tells us not to be stagnant. We need to be actively growing in our faith and relationship with Jesus Christ to pursue him. So think about those things. Think about where you're at, what you may need to give up. Think about how you can grow. Come back next week and we'll look at the passage and what it has to say. Father, thank you for teaching us today in your word what is important and what's not. The stuff to keep and the stuff to throw away. Help us to see that it's not about us, it's about your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to honor him with our words, our deeds, our actions, so that he is the center of our life. God, we want, we want your Son to be the center of our church and for us to, to worship you and him and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to come alongside us. We, we are fools on our own. And we need you desperately, so help us. And I pray, Father, if there's anybody here today that has not received your Son as Jesus, as, as Lord and Savior, that this would be the day of salvation. That they would see themselves as people who are apart from you because of sin. Confess that and come to you, a God who has open arms and loves us far beyond what we ever will understand. Your love is great. Your mercy knows no bounds. Your grace knows no bounds. Thank you for loving people like us. Thank you for loving me. I don't deserve it. But I'm grateful for it. May we pursue you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.